Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And we welcome you to this edition of Tuesday People, the podcast. I'm your host, Mitch Album, author of Tuesdays with Maury, host of this podcast, along with my friend and producer of the podcast, Lisa Goich. Hello, Lisa. Mitch Album, happy day to you. It's a big day for us. It sure is. Uh, this is our 100th podcast of the Woo-hoo! Tuesday People podcast. Yeah. Woo-hoo. Woo-hoo! We made it. 100. I don't, I don't think I was uh, trying to get to 100 when we started. I just thought, well, let's see. <laughs> Let's see what happens, and uh, this sounds interesting, and here we are nearly, I guess, just shy of two full years later, yeah, which is uh, crazy, really right? something. Yeah. So we thought 100. today- A hundred podcasts. So we thought today that we would uh, kind of go back and review some of the things that we have most memorably captured on the podcast- over the course of the last 100 episodes, which is, as you say, just really hard to uh, <laughs> to imagine when, I can't when we started we've this. We've come this far, Mitch. Yeah, I mean the so right off the bat, the idea of doing uh, this podcast was something that I had thought about for a long time because, or not so much because of the book Tuesdays with Maury, but because of a shelf that I have up in my office upstairs that has all of the tapes of Maury and I talking together. And for those of you who who might be curious about this, um, I recorded our conversations almost, almost exclusively on a tiny little, uh, what they call micro cassette recorder, a micro cassette recorder. Uh, Back in the day, I don't even back know if they the have those anymore. Do they, do, <laughs> do they still make them anymore? I don't know, but I used to do um, transcription from those tiny little tapes for different companies. You'd mm-hmm. have to put it into a transcription machine and then use the pedal. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's all very yeah. Use old the pedal. School. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. Well, that's how we transcribed <laughs> them for the book. Was to put yeah. the a little micro cassette in a little machine, and then you'd play it, and uh, you press the pedal down, and it would. You know, keep playing, and then as soon as you took your finger off the uh, your foot off the pedal, it would stop. And then you hit another pedal, you could rewind it a little bit. <laughs> it was, yeah, yeah. It was like driving a Model wow. T. It was. <laughs> so all wow. of the, all of those conversations sat on those uh, in those little micro cassettes. I mean, all the many many weeks and conversations that we had, those things are so small that they fit into a box that's maybe a foot long. Uh, like just a little container, and all the wisdom wow. of of Maury Schwartz and all of Tuesdays with Maury was contained into a, a little plastic container that was less than a foot long. And that is crazy, crazy. For many, yeah, that was that was the whole. Uh, I mean, holy think grail about that. Thing. Yeah, 
Like you got to take a picture of that. That's of crazy. That, that little box. Yeah. I'll, that uh, that I'll, little box has turned into this giant thing. Yeah. Like, I should. You know, I'll, we'll get a picture and we'll uh, we'll post it up on our on our page. You know where where it began because they sat there for a long time and then probably after the book came out and I realized it was becoming this thing that nobody could have anticipated it becoming and people were yeah. contacting me from around the world and people were reading it around the world that I said, you know, it's kind of dangerous to just leave all those raw tapes just on these little micro cassette. Yeah. You know, one inch by one inch holders of little tape. So then I took them and I made them into uh, CDs. And mm. so then I had a stack of uh, CDs that were sat right next to the little one foot box of tapes. Um. And after a certain <laughs> amount of time, I realized that <laughs> CDs were going out of style and they had these new things called DVDs. Oh, and so I took all the uh, CDs in and had them turned into DVDs. So then I had another oh, row <laughs> of discs next to the CD. So I had the 12-inch box of tapes and then the <laughs> row of CDs and then a row of DVDs. And then eventually, of course, we got to digital. And I said, well, oh, I really boy. should just put all this into <laughs> files. And so now I have all of the tapes in a computer in addition to a row of DVDs and a row of CDs and a 12-inch box of the original micro-cassettes. Wow. This is like the Smithsonian of Maury. That's right. <laughs> also that I would not lose it because I'm one of those people that, you know, invariably ends up losing everything over time if it isn't really organized and put away and et cetera. And so I did that to protect myself and to protect Maury's legacy. And uh, and that's where all that. So all these things were sitting up on this shelf up in my office. And periodically I'd go up there and I'd look at them and, and I'd say, uh, you know, boy, I remember the the conversations that we had. And once in a while I would play one of them and listen to them. And uh, when I did the audio of Tuesdays with Maury, the book, at the end of the audio book, I included about 10 clips from those tapes uh, and people can hear them. And, I, and, and people would always say to me, that was the best part of the audiobook. I got to hear Maury talking and hear the two of you talking, and it sounded just like I imagined it would be, et cetera, et cetera. So I just kept thinking, I have this wisdom, this wonderful experience sitting in this 12-inch box and these DVDs, and I'm not really sharing it with anybody. I, I am in the book, but I, the audio of it, I'm not really sharing. And so I went and started listening to the tapes again, and I realized they were in such good quality, so many of them, that you really could understand what Maury was saying or the questions I was asking. And I decided, hey, a podcast might be a great way to share this wisdom and review it while letting Maury sort mm -hmm. of prompt us with his actual own voice. And how, I, I thought, well, if I had influenced somebody in my life and I died and 20 years later or 25 years later, that person got my voice and said, hey, let's, yeah. let's listen to what Mitch had to say 25 years ago <laughs> and see if we can learn from it. Uh, I, I think I, I would have been really honored. Be kind of cool, you know? 
And so I thought, well, that would be a great way to honor Maury. And I think it is. You know, he died in, in 1995. So we're 26 years now after his death. And people are still listening to his voice, still listening to wisdom like this. Think a lot about what is there beyond. Is there anything? Is there a soul? Is there a consciousness? All my friends are convinced that love goes on. I think so. So having had all this sound, um, that was the genesis of the podcast. Uh, It was as if Maury's voice was yelling from the office upstairs, share me, share me, share me. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, and ultimately, we started this podcast. I called Lisa and said, what do you think? And uh, she was kind enough to uh, join me in it, and here we are. And over the course of <laughs> of the uh, year we've had, or two years, we've had a lot of people have joined us on the show. I mean, uh, Dr. Phil joined us very early on. Mm-hmm. You know, of course, we're in the family with Dr. Phil and Robin's podcast, and we're happy to happy to do that. Uh, Dr. Daniel Amen joined us on the program. Remember, he was yeah. great, uh, and we had visits. Scott from Hamilton. Scott Hamilton, yeah, twice, uh, two times yeah. with him. I love that yeah. guy. Yeah, a great story. He inspires of battling, me a lot. Battling cancer and coming back, mm. and you know, being being an Olympic champion with all of that. And we've had uh, doctors, psychiatrists. We've had death doulas who have joined us. Uh, to and never even knew we, that was a job by the way, until we had her on. That was incredible. I didn't know that either. We've had experts on mothers, experts on children. We've had um, people Mm. who have talked about being schadenfreude, uh, wishing wishing something bad happens to somebody else. Uh, Yeah. We had one of the very first U.S. COVID patients. That's right. Very early on. We had, uh, yep. you're, you're absolutely right about that. We had one of the, one of the earliest COVID patients, a guy who was actually in the news, and I was amazed that we could find him when that happened. He was, uh, he, had, he was still stuck in, in quarantine. Remember, he had yeah, been on like, the, uh, he had been on the um, cruise ship uh, yeah. when that happened. Yeah. And um, this and is, uh, Carl them- Goldman was his name, and yeah. he was on the Diamond Princess. This was our 20th show. I'm looking at it right now. The new C word, coronavirus. <laughs> the new C word, coronavirus. Quarantine and surviving the aftermath. A patient speaks out. And Carl Goldman talked about his experience on the Diamond Princess Cruise Line and how he was in uh, quarantine still and how the nurses and doctors were good. And at that time, this was this brand new thing, you know, coronavirus. Yeah. What What is that? And remember with him, the crazy thing to think about now I mean, that's an episode I'd like to revisit that in full sometime because when you you hear about what our perspectives were and what his were then and what we know now, like yeah. they had him in some sort of like military base that was, you know, right. like nobody could access and they split him apart from his wife. And right. wow. Well, listen here, like, we'll play a cut from it here and you hear a little about how he was talking about this new novel virus called the coronavirus. We uh, had 15 wonderful days of a 16-day cruise, and then a passenger who had gotten off in Hong Kong ended up coming down with the coronavirus, testing positive four days later. So we had a one-day quarantine 
on the ship uh, telling we would be delayed. Japanese officials came on board and then announced the next morning that we were now quarantined for 14 days in our cabin. So I got to spend at least Valentine's Day quarantined <laughs> with my wife. My birthday, though, I was isolated. That's a different experience. So that's when we first started becoming aware of the virus and then following it as the news started snowballing with it. Hmm. But there were over 3,500 passengers and crew on our ship. So one person having the virus did not seem like a big, big deal. We could look at, we had, by then we had docked in Yokohama, which is where we were supposed to leave to begin with if it was a normal cruise, but they put us in a isolated docking area. So one side of the dock area had anywhere from 20 to 80 ambulances at different times. There were folks in hazmat suits, military trucks were set up, and they had jury-rigged a um, kind of tunnel leading from the ship over to a, the, the ground there so that an ambulance could pull up in between that covered area and take away a passenger. Um, on the other side, there was just a slew of media, TV cameras, trucks, satellite dishes. Two helicopters were flying around the, the ship at, all, at most times, at least during the daytime. And then there were also media on both. So it was, as I said, really like a scene out of the Andromeda strain. Did you start to feel like a like like a, a monkey in a cage almost? Not quite. I think each day, I mean, we could stand outside and look outside, but each day the numbers kept increasing on the ship. Today, as I'm talking to you, the total now is at 706. Of there were 3,500 plus, so we're we're already at at a significant number. Over 20 percent have come down with the virus. There've been some tragic deaths. From with passengers on the ship, so this thing became a floating petri dish that was a giant, giant mistake. Looking back, so yes, just just in in a year's time, a year and a half's time, how our perspective has changed. That was from March tenth of twenty twenty, which feels like the beginning of the Paleolithic era or something like that. I, I mean, it's does. literally, it like- you're going back, when you say March of 2020, that was like, okay, that was when the Ice Age began. And, and now know. here we are a year and a half later uh, with COVID being such a normal part of our lives. But yeah, that was something we did in our in, in, while we were still within our first year, still within our first 50 episodes. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously and... 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. We had uh, a show that we did about not having regrets, which was a big thing that Maury talked about a lot, about you know people who have a lot of regrets in their life when they reach the end of it, it marks a life that was spent on the wrong things. Mm-hmm. And Maury, you know, did not have a lot of regrets. He had a few. He said that maybe he wished he could have written more books or been more academic or accomplished a little bit more in, in his work life. But that's because he spent so much of his life giving of himself to other people. And when they all added up, they really didn't bother him very much. Maury was not yeah. tortured 
by things he had not done. And he, he said this when it came to regrets. Don't get stuck on your regrets about what the things were that could have been different. It's all water under the bridge. So just leave it what it was. Forgive yourself and go on. Mm-hmm. If you get stuck in the past with all these unachieved or regretted things, you'll only be miserable. I remember we had a show uh, where we talked about what makes a perfect day. You remember that? Uh, uh, oh, yeah. We were thinking, oh, would you spend uh, the day jetting around the world trying to get in every amazing experience and uh, that you could in 24 hours? Or would you just have a small window of just doing simple things? And Maury's perfect yeah. day... Maury's perfect day, well, as you can hear here, he had a very, very simple approach to what he thought would be the greatest day of his life. Get up in the morning, do my exercises, have a lovely breakfast of some kind of sweet rolls and uh, probably tea. I go for the health club for a swim and a jacuzzi. Come home, have a nice lunch with Delcatessen and have all my friends come in one, two at a time, talk about friends and family, talk about love, how we care about each other, and what we meant to each other. Then have a great dinner Maybe go to this lovely restaurant where you can get great pasta, something like that. Or duck, I love duck. Whatever the meal. And then go out dancing the rest of the night with great dance parties. Just dance free until I'm exhausted. And go home and have a deep, deep sleep. That would be my day. I learned a lot from that show, and I learned a lot from that lesson of uh, Maury's about what is... Because at the time, when I was 37, when I was visiting him, and certainly when I was a student, when I was in my late teens and early 20s, you know, my idea of a perfect day you know, would just be the most adventure you could cram into 24 hours. Yeah. You know, the Greek Isles sailing and then skiing off of Kilimanjaro and uh, you know, whatever the, your concept was of like an Indiana Jones-like existence. And now as I am much, much closer to Maury's age than my old age uh, when I was with him, I see the beauty in just getting up and sharing time with friends and nature and... Uh, I don't know that I would eat duck. That's that was Maury's thing. Nah. Some duck uh, or dance, <laughs> but I mean he loved to dance, so why not? And um, yeah, I learned a his, lot from. And we got a lot of um, uh, comments on that too from listeners. What their mm. perfect day would be. I remember we got tons on the website, so yeah, it was interesting to see everybody else's perfect day and what it means to everybody because it's so different, right? Everybody has a different take on that. Correct. We had a great show uh, about forgiveness. I think we've had several, really. Um, and 
you know, Maury's big take on, on forgiveness was that you need to forgive everybody everything, and that holding a grudge is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. Mm. It, it only hurts yourself and doesn't bring about anything that you think is going to make you feel better. And uh, here was a, a little clip from our seventh episode about forgiveness called Forgive Others, Forgive Yourself. You think people need to either forgive themselves or forgive others before they die? Absolutely. Forgive yourself first and forgive others. There is no point keeping pride, vengeance, spite, stubbornness, any of these things. Forgive yourself first and forgive others. I remember when um, I did the Oprah Winfrey show back when uh, Tuesdays with Maury was just brand new. And Oprah Winfrey, her organization, called and asked if I would be interested in coming on her show, uh, what turned out to be just the last five minutes of the show. The mm -hmm. show itself was about death and dying, and she had Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, a very famous author and expert on death and dying. She really wrote the book, so to speak. And the whole show was pretty much with her. And then at the very end, they had five minutes for Lord, sort of a parallel story. And on came little me uh, in my... Uh, I always joke that Oprah had, uh, if you ever go back and look at the show, the old show, she didn't have normal people furniture. She had Gulliver's furniture, you know, yeah, like that's giant, big everything was giant, giant. <laughs> and I'm not tall, you know, uh, I am by def by today's standards short. And, and uh, I went out there because they said, okay, you get ready. You know, here comes the commercial break. You go out and they, they shoot it live to tape. So, you know, it's all pretty close to you know, the exact, yeah. exact, they don't stop things. And they said, okay, ready, go. And I went out there and I go out onto the stage and I get into this chair, which is this <laughs> massive, massive, huge chair. And I lean, try to lean back and my feet didn't touch the ground. And, and I'm sitting in this chair feeling like I'm a school kid. You know, my feet aren't reaching the ground. And so I start shifting my body, you know, right. and I'm slouching way down in the chair. If you ever like, see the tapes of that, it looks like I'm going to sleep because I'm just trying to get my right. feet to touch the ground. I, I felt like Edith Ann and laughing. Edith you know? Ann, yeah. Yeah, yeah you know, I was just it, thinking that. Yeah, and I was just praying, please, God, let my feet touch the ground. And I barely can remember anything that was asked of me during that time because it was five minutes and I spent the whole five minutes just trying to elongate myself. But I do remember that Oprah said to me, uh, she was holding the book and it was all marked up. She had underlined things and everything, which I was very impressed with, that she had taken that kind of care and time to look at it. And she, during one of the commercial breaks, she, or before or after, I guess, she opened it up and she said, forgive everybody, everything. And she looked at me, she said, I'm having a hard time with that one. I'm having a hard uh, time with that one. And, uh, uh, you know, I never, I didn't know her very well back then. I didn't, I didn't want to pry and say, what do you mean? You know, tell me all yeah. about it. <laughs> uh, but I do remember that that struck a chord with her. Years later, we talked about it, you know, that I think she had has come has since come to a much better understanding about how you have to forgive people but but that is yeah. that is a tough one that's a very very tough one and uh, that was a that was a big show that we that's had that's hard yeah it's a hard one there are uh 
episodes that we talked about in one way or another that come back to an early episode that we did called, If You Don't Like the Culture, Don't Buy It. And that was something that Maury said to me all the time about, you know, just because the ideals of today's culture at the time, you know, when I was coming out in the in the late 70s, it was about how much money yeah. can you make and, you know, go, go, go. And, and uh, uh, you know, that was the era just before the, the end of the me decade and the beginning of Wall yeah. Street and greed is good and all that. And and he said, just because everybody else is doing it, just because the TV tells you to do it, just because the movies show people doing it, that's the culture. You don't have to do what the culture says you're supposed to do. Yeah. Find your own path. And ultimately, I think I did. Uh, but it took me a long time. It took me a long time. You have to be kind of brave and strong to say, well, I may live in an age where this is valued and this is valued and this is valued, but I reject those as the most important values, and I'm going to live my life with this as my key and this as my key and this is my key. And you know, a lot of people don't want to do that. They want to. They want to fit in. They want to be accepted by everybody, and so that is true. Yep, that was a big one. If you don't like the culture, don't buy it. So many good lessons. I've learned so much on this show, you know, like just doing it every week from Maury and, and you and just our discussions and the listeners. And um, I think the biggest lesson I learned and, um, you know, was the, the thing about just appreciate your days. Hmm. Uh, I think we touched on that with Scott Hamilton, um, you know, because he had that project about live your days or uh, is that what right. it was called? Live your days. And Maury touched upon that as well, about how important it is to just, you know, in, appreciate every day, even the most boring of the normal ones, you know? You don't have to have trips to Italy every day or, you know, super fancy things. Just appreciate your day, Absolutely. you know? Um, Absolutely. That's my biggest lesson I've learned in these 100 episodes, I think. We've had episodes on how to choose your last words. Uh, mm -hmm. about don't be afraid to be quiet. That was a good one where uh, Maury used to do an exercise that he did every year with his classes where he would just walk into the classroom and um, he would just sit there and not say anything. And mm -hmm. everybody would keep looking at him and he wouldn't say anything and people look at him. And some people got very uncomfortable and some people eventually stood up and walked out and and eventually, he, he got up and he said, all right, very softly, now, what did we just learn from the silence of the last 15 minutes? And we had a big discussion about how people are uncomfortable with silence. They just don't yeah. like quiet, and they, they think that you, 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 there must be something else going on, and how to relish quiet. That was a great. That was a great episode. I enjoyed yeah, that, that one. Yeah, that was a good one. Episode thirty-seven. If you're going back amongst your files, uh, human touch, another huge thing ah, that Maury and I spent one. so much time on. Um, and uh, yeah, Maury, Maury said something very profound in that episode. Um, you can listen to right here. We are one of the top-notch physically affectionate families. The kids always kiss me, repeatedly kiss me. Not only now, but ever, you know, as young men, all the time, there's a lot of embracing, a lot of hugging, a lot of kissing, a lot of overt demonstration of affection. Mm -hmm. And that was like 
part of the deal. Mm -hmm. That's how you were in this family. Mm -hmm. I think that's very important in general, especially for men who are so afraid to touch each other and let out their normal feelings. And yes, I, I remember when uh, Maury, um, the last visit I had with him, he said, you know, hold my hands, hold my hands. And he was in bed. He was no longer in his chair as he was in all the other episodes, all the other visits. That Only that visit, that was the only visit that Maury was in bed. He always insisted on being carried out to his chair. And he said, when you're in bed, you're dead. He didn't want to be in bed, and, and yet he was too sick to you know, be lifted out of bed on that particular yeah. Tuesday. It was the last Tuesday we had. And he Aww. insisted that I hold his hands. It was so important. And the whole time we talked, I never let go of his hands. And he always used to say, you know, when you come into the world, you're a baby. You need to be held and caressed and comforted. When you leave the world, you're dying. You need to be held and caressed and comforted too. He says it's the same mm -hmm. thing coming and going. Mm -hmm. The mystery is why between the coming and the going, we act like we don't need it. And yep. he was right. You know, we do all need to be touched. And boy, if we learned anything with COVID and not being able oh, to, boy. not being able to physically touch one another for so long, I think that, that episode of the podcast was really uh, prescient Heck, yeah. almost. Yeah. Yeah. We also had to remember Rob Schwartz and Jonathan Schwartz, Maury's sons, yep. uh, on the program in our uh, in our forties back in the forties, I think, uh, of our episodes, and those were wonderful. Uh, and yep. we also had the senior producer Richard Harris on our fifty fifth episode. He was a senior producer of Nightline, which is where Maury all began. And uh, here's a little bit of what Richard Harris had to say. Am I right in remembering this, that it began with a newspaper article that you happened to peruse? Tell us, you know, what your job was back in 1995 and how this funneled through it. Well, I was the senior producer, uh, one of several senior producers on the broadcast, and Ted Koppel was very smart about a lot of things. But one of the things he was very smart about was not having Nightline become a New York-Washington program. He wanted everybody on the staff to read their hometown papers. My hometown paper was the Boston Globe. I grew up in the Boston area. And there's actually an antecedent to this. If you go back a year or so before this, so maybe early 90s, Ted would give me a ride home uh, many nights. Uh, I happened to live right on the way when he, and he could just drop me, and it was very convenient. And so one night in the early 90s, we get on the topic of death of all things. Ted had spent his first 13 years in England. It was only after his family moved to America that he realized there really was a very stark difference between the two countries. Back in England, you know, people talked openly about death, but in America, death was still pretty much in the shadows, whispered about. When I was growing up, people didn't even use the word cancer. They euphemistically called it the C word. Mm. And, and Ted said, I've always wanted to do a nightline about that kind of cultural contrast. Why is death a taboo in some countries and you talk openly in others? But he never could quite find the right way to do it. So fast forward a couple of years, 
And one morning, I'm thumbing through the Boston Globe in the Washington Bureau of ABC News, and I come across this headline, A Professor's Final Course, His Own Death. And I don't think it immediately connected with that conversation I had with Ted in the car, but as I read through the article, and it was a profile of Maury Schwartz, the sociology professor from Brandeis, who was dying of ALS. He had already had a living funeral. He had been diagnosed the summer before, so the summer of 94, and I think he had been given about 16 months to live, and eight months had already gone by. And I'm reading the article, and I'm saying to myself, there's something that Ted talked to me about that he might be interested in this. And I didn't remember the conversation exactly, but I knew we had talked about death. So I just go into his office, and I said, Ted, you really need to read this. He did, and he said, well, why don't you get Maury on the phone and see if he'd be willing to talk. And I did, and he picked up the phone, and I really liked him right away because he was so different than anybody else you would call to be on the program. Most of the people would say, how quickly can I get to the studio? And Maury was almost the exact opposite. He had barely heard of Nightline or Ted, was not a television watcher. And so I had to explain a little bit about why we were interested in this. And, and then I started to remember the conversation about uh, uh, that we had on the, in the car about death as a taboo, which, as you know, Mitch, is, was one of the hallmarks of, his, uh, of Maury's conversation. Along the way, we had shows about, gosh, about the 2020 election. We had shows about uh, what comes next after this life, the secret to serenity, mm-hmm. the forgiveness tour, uh, stretching yourself to new experiences, how to measure your friends. Do you have a, a good friend or not? Uh, the rippling effects of losing your mother. When bad news of life comes knocking, how to handle it. Uh, how to survive the loss of a spouse. Sacrifice, which was a really important show. That was our 84th show about the three different forms of sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and joining the Parentless Club which is ah, something yeah. that now uh, both Lisa and I are, are card-carrying members of uh, after you lose your mother and your father and you're next. So really, along the way, it's been great. And uh, these have been a wonderful hundred episodes that we've had. We've cited a few of them for you here. Uh, and we'll return to new lessons learned and inspired by Maury, whose words of the those little tapes that take up a 12-inch box on my shelf, of which we're going to take a picture and have it on this on the website, um, still continue to be an inspiration. Honestly, when we started this podcast, I didn't think that, I thought, oh, maybe we'll do a few dozen of them and that'll be it. Uh, and yep. I can't believe that there have been a hundred lessons that continue to come out. And I guess it's my way of sort of finding out what other people have told me for a long time who have read Tuesdays with Maury, that there's a lot in it. Yeah. And they go back and reread yeah. it over and over again. And um, that's kind of what we do here every Tuesday. We sort of well, and it's, reread a piece. Yeah, and it's also not just the lesson. We've done lessons, of course, from Maury and the book, but other things 
that Maury has triggered that are further lessons, mm-hmm. you know? Yep. Like like other other things were like, oh, this is something Maury definitely would have embraced or, you know. Right. Uh, and then we go back and find something he said about it, and it, it's very relatable now, even 26 years later. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. It's crazy. Uh, he would, I just, it makes me think, what would Maury think <laughs> about all of this, yeah. you know? I could tell you, uh, in the craziest time after the book, you know, was successful, and people started coming up with crazy offers, because when you have something that's successful, you know, all of a sudden people want to glom onto it. And there were... Mm-hmm. People made offers for calendars with Mori expressions and day planners with Mori <laughs> expressions and bobblehead dolls. Uh, but the weirdest okay. <laughs> one I thought, the weirdest one I thought was a bracelet, WWMD, what would Mori do? You know, because back I would then, totally buy that. Yeah, no, I you would buy that. <laughs> and I remember saying, absolutely not. And please don't bring these silly things to me here instead of what would Jesus do? What would Mori do? Yeah. So I'd uh, buy it. we're not. Let's uh, make them. No, we're not we're not ever equating those two things. But we do recognize the wisdom of people who came before us and I think it's nice to keep a man's voice alive and be inspired by it and we appreciate so much your time and efforts with us here and mm-hmm. your sharing what is precious time in, in these day and age. Nobody has enough of it to uh, share some lessons with us and my old college professor. So we'll kick off uh, lesson 101. Uh, when we see you again. And until then, on behalf of Lisa Goich, uh, my friend and producer, I'm Mitch Album, saying, see you next Tuesday. Thank you for listening to Tuesday People. To be part of our conversation, join the Tuesday People community at wetuesdaypeople.com. Subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode and share it with your friends. We look forward to having you with us every Tuesday because, after all, we're Tuesday People.